Welcome to Lost in the Movies. This episode covers the film Under the Skin. I think one of the best, most interesting films of the 2010s. I covered this only a few months ago on Patreon. Usually I wait longer to share something with the public that I recorded for patrons, but since I'm going to take a hiatus coming up on this podcast, I thought now was the time for this. However, there is a part of it that's going to be reserved for Patreon, so I'll talk about that in a moment. But if you want to hear more on this subject, check out the link in the show notes for that. The previous episode covered the documentary The Power of Nightmares, Adam Curtis's political uh, film, uh, sort of a uh, avant-garde montage documentary approach. And uh, before we get to the discussion of Under the Skin, I just want to remind you, you're always welcome to send in listener feedback on this or any previous episodes. And uh, actually, even though I usually like to just tease what the next episode's going to be, you know, maybe play a clip from a trailer or something, I'll say here it's going to be Southland Tales, because if you want to write in for that one, now is the time to do so, so I, so I can... Uh, Include it in that episode itself coming up in June. I'm going to be discussing that film somewhere else as well uh, as a, in a guest appearance on another podcast that's entirely focused on Southland Tales. So you can look for that along with some other stuff in the coming month. But here's what I've been up to uh, since the previous episode. Uh, on my site, I continued the Twin Peaks character series with entries on Anthony Sinclair at number 50. These are ranked by screen time. I had some notes on older entries that didn't need to be revised because the characters weren't in season three on John Justice Wheeler and Harold Smith at number 49, 48. I had a new entry on Richard Horn at number 47 and at number 46 uh, was also an old entry, Evelyn Marsh, where I just added some new notes on it, but basically the entry remained intact. And I paused there. I decided I'm going to take a break from the series for, we'll see, maybe a month or two, uh, because I want to remain a month ahead for patrons. I always preview these uh, entries for the patrons beforehand. So like, for example, on the dollar a month tier uh, on Patreon in the past month, I previewed entry number 37 and entries number 35 and 33. And by the time this episode's out, I, I should have number 31 up. So I'm up to the top 30 on Patreon. And uh, I was starting to fall or about to fall a little behind the, the schedule. So I decided, okay, pausing the public schedule. And uh, also, I want to focus a little on making the Lost in Twin Peaks podcast public again. I have all of season two to uh, re-edit and present there. So you can look for that in the coming months. But again, I want to talk about what I've been up to elsewhere. And that includes the Twin Peaks cinema feed, uh, where I cover a film and relate it to Twin Peaks. And I've been doing some David Lynch ones lately, and I continued that with number 24, Lost Highway. Uh, in this case, it's a part of a new little mini series I'm starting called Long Road Home, where I focus on films that Mary Sweeney had a lot to do with. In this case, she edited and produced Lost Highway. And then we're going to cover a film she wrote as well for David Lynch, and then one that she wrote and directed uh, after her partnership with Lynch ended. So you can look for those coming up. But for now, check out Lost Highway. I already mentioned some of my character advances on Patreon, but I also put up a post called Updates, Twin Peaks Conversations Delay, Twin Peaks Character Schedule Shift, etc. And on my site, I put up a sort of a similar post but focused on all my public work called Spring Update for the Big Twin Peaks Projects and more, Status Update. I also posted a directory for the Twin Peaks character series that was originally part of the uh, intro post, but I decided to separate it out, have its own page where you can look up all the entries on that. So that's where we stand now at the beginning of May. 
And I also put up some cross posts for March and April uh, Patreon uh, posts on my site. So that's what I've been up to. Now on to Under the Skin. So you live alone? Yes. You think I'm pretty? I like a gorgeous. Come to me. Last time you touched someone. I did see this somewhat close to its release. I, re- I remember watching it, as I recall, in California, which would mean it was maybe 2015, 2016 at the latest that I caught up with this. So a few years after its release. And I was really impressed and tranced and, and blown away by it. And I never ended up writing about it or commenting on it. I think I might have watched it around a time... There was a time in 2016 where I kind of took a break over the spring and summer before I got back into the swing of things with mostly Twin Peaks coverage. And uh, I think covering the series, the Jane Campion series, and uh, doing my favorite series where I talk about my favorite film. So there really wasn't much room for me to squeeze under the skin in, but it really stuck with me, especially certain elements of it. And of course, when I saw Stranger Things later, and uh, also... Uh, another film from a couple years later that has that similar kind of um, scenario. I just talked about it recently. I'm trying to remember what film it is now. Oh, of course, Get Out is also very similar to this space in Under the Skin where the Scarlett Johansson character takes the men that she picks up. This black void with characters, very well-lit characters walking through this expanse of black space. It's such an iconic image almost feels like one of the iconic images of the 2010s that rippled out to these other works. I have to assume that it's not just coincidence that they they drew upon this influence of this film because it's, it's it's so striking. And this was the first place I saw it, and indeed the first place among those works that it was featured, this, this uh, iconography. If the film just had a few of the elements it does, it would be fascinating. If it had Scarlett Johansson driving around in the van and these Glasgow streets, if it had the conceit of the quasi-documentary 
uh, shooting of people who weren't actors who just climbed into the van who didn't recognize her as Scarlett Johansson and took a ride and they captured their dialogue and of course got their consent later to use it. There was a lot of stuff they shot they couldn't use because the people were like, ah, I don't want to be in a movie. Don't take me out of this. But they they did shoot a lot of these sequences, um, not only not scripted, but not even improvised in the sense that one would usually mean it of like actors playing off each other. Like the people weren't even actors. They didn't know they were in a movie. So that's fascinating. And some of that footage is in the movie. Of course, much of it is acted. But, you know, if it had that element, uh, if it had that element of the black uh, void space, the iconography, then then what happens underneath when the people are sort of imprisoned there after they're caught by this character? Um, if it had the story, which is this idea, this fascinating idea that comes from Michelle Faber's novel, also called Under the Skin, of an alien coming to Earth to kind of hunt men, methodically pick them up and take them to this place where they are devoured in some sense or another. The The book is a little different and more explicit about that, which I'll talk about in a moment. But, you know, if it just had that central hook, that's kind of a key to greatness, a fascinating idea. If it had stuff in the, the back part of the film, where Scarlett Johansson is wandering around trying to discover in a way what it is to be human while being this alien, if it had the haunting image at the end of the alien figure, this black, uh, shimmering kind of slick being looking at its human skin and the, and the face looking back and blinking at it. If it had the musical score, you know, these are all unique elements unto themselves. The fact that they're all in this work together is just, uh, I mean, to me, this may be the masterpiece of the 2010s. And the more I talk about it, the more I'm kind of drawn into that. It's a film that many people, not many people, I think it was, you know, among the people who saw it, which was not a huge uh, worldwide audience. Uh, in fact, it did not, I think, make back its budget even. And uh, of of the people who did see it, I think most people were kind of impressed, or at least the ones who had something to say about it. But there were a lot of people who were turned off. It's It could be seen as a very cold film. I don't know that I would quite characterize it that way, but I'd certainly know what people are talking about if they said that. Um, it's sort of hard to get your hands around in a way if you don't know what the story is. Uh, watching it the second time, I read the book first, which I'll be talking about, and that's a whole other fascinating way into this movie um, that actually kind of almost has to be cast aside when you watch it because it's so different. But it does sort of give you a key to where a lot of this imagery and the storytelling came from. But, you know, people watching it, uh, oftentimes they just, they, they maybe they couldn't find a way in or they were sort of held at a distance. It's not like a warm, enveloping film, but there's just so much there, such richness, so many kind of visceral treasures to it that uh, I find it to be you know, I find it to be one of the most um, transparently great movies I've seen. Something like, you know, I'd put it up there with like First Reformed or a handful of other films. Um, for all the fascinating films I talk about in this episode, some of which I really love, I don't know that any of them I would necessarily put in this same sort of category. With Like this would be a film that I could easily include on a greatest films list if I was to make another one as I did uh, over 10 years ago. As I already alluded to, 
the story is about an alien who comes down to Glasgow to ride around in a white van. She's got black hair, uh, sort of poofy. It's it's not a I don't you know it looks almost like a wig. I don't know if it is or not, but um, you know certainly part of Scarlett Johansson's disguise when she was playing this character and actually picking people up. First of all, they thought, well, there's no way a movie star is driving around the streets of uh, Glasgow at night in an apparently empty van because the other the crew members were hidden in the back and they had hidden cameras and picking up strangers. So they just thought, ah, oh, it must be somebody who looks like her. Um, but still, the, the hair is part of the disguise. She's got this big fur coat and she's riding around the city, picking the men up, taking them to this kind of townhouse apartment area where she opens the door and they step into this void and it becomes this abstracted landscape. And other people have commented this as well. This was sort of my impression that maybe the men aren't literally going into a place that looks like this. This is more like a representation of something almost metaphysical happening to them. But they follow her across this kind of liquidy surface and they start to sink as they're taking their clothes off, as she's taking her clothes off, leading them with her back to them into this void further and further until they slip under the surface. And eventually we see this happen a few times. Eventually we see one of them submerged in this kind of almost like womb like uh, uh, landscape where they're kind of floating in this ether and they see the previous person who was brought in and that person's kind of bloated and they try to reach out to them and then their skin just kind of poof, just dissolves and sinks down as some sort of essence is flushed out and filtered towards this grate. So we have no idea what exactly this process is from watching the movie. They're obviously extracting something from the humans they capture. And I say they because there's also a guy in a leather jacket riding around a motorcycle that seems to be maybe her supervisor, like he inspects her from time to time uh, and kind of keeps an eye on her and picks up some of the leftover items that the people leave behind and things like that. So, you know, we don't know exactly what they're doing. There's a sense almost maybe they're like gathering some sort of fuel or material from the people. Now in the book, it's an explicitly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, food. The human beings are food. Um, and I say human beings advisedly because of how the novel describes the people and the aliens. But again, I'll get to that. I want to discuss the novel after discussing much of the film. So I, I didn't mention in the beginning, too. They pull this woman out uh, from like a field who looks, I would say, pretty much exactly like Scarlett Johansson. I've heard that it's actually a different actress, which is kind of surprising. I don't know if somebody misunderstood that. Um, I mean, she's like almost identical to Scarlett. Maybe they should have had her ride down the van, ride around in the van. They would have fooled even more people. But uh, she is uh, lying there kind of comatose and a tear runs down her eye as Scarlett Johansson kind of coldly uh, examines her and takes her clothes and puts the clothes on. So there's a sense that this is a human person that maybe they're uh, using as kind of the model for the alien in her human disguise. I've also heard interpretations that actually this was like the previous uh, alien 
and that she failed in her mission and now the Scarlett Johansson version is taking over, the other Scarlett Johansson version is taking over and taking her role. One of the interesting things about this film, it's kind of a Rorschach test. You can see so many different, even contradictory things in it, uh, as I'll discuss in terms of gender, in terms of perspective, in terms of specific moments and what they mean. And fascinatingly, I love this aspect of it. It's something that reminds me of Lynch in a lot of ways. All of those interpretations are kind of, I don't know if valid is the right word, they're often equally potent, even if they're contradictory. There's something that resonates about them that connects from what you see. I love that aspect of the film. So the first part of this film is largely uh, this character who is nameless, as everyone in the film is. There are no names in this film. People have often called her Laura because an early draft of the uh, adaptation script uh, named her that so they've they've chosen that name but at any rate this character is driving around picking up the men sort of methodically hunting them they elaborate and build on each encounter and give kind of a new element there for you to consider and she's just very cold very distanced approaches this from uh this perspective where it seems like she's totally comfortable in her role of the predator and has no sort of compassion or concern for these human beings as as subjects in themselves uh there's one point where she encounters this this check uh diver he's in a wetsuit coming out of this uh very turbulent scottish uh shoreline and he sees a woman who is chasing her dog out you know, swimming out to get her dog and the husband swimming after the wife and this baby is screaming on the shore that's left behind by the parents and he rushes in to save them uh, they don't want to be saved because they're too busy like the husband keeps going back for the wife and uh, this baby is crying crying the whole time she goes over conks the czech swimmer on the head takes him and leaves the baby there and later her motorcyclist partner comes back gets some stuff and still leaves the baby um, crying on the beach as the waves get closer and closer. And it just shows you the complete disengagement of these characters to any sense of human feeling. So, you know, these are aliens that are very alienating to a certain extent uh, for the viewer. And then the film gets into its second half. The pivot point is when she picks up a man with severe facial deformities. Uh, this was a guy who was not an actor. He was, this was like his real condition. And he, uh, had had done some stage work, so he was familiar with show business, but you know, not I, I don't think a professional actor. And Jonathan Glazer, the director of this film, uh, brought him in and asked for his contributions and what their dialogue might be. And it's this fascinating sequence where he gets into the car. Unlike many of the men she picks up, he's not they're not looking to sort of um, you know, seduce her or be seduced by her or whatever. And he's sort of reserved. He speaks very frankly and in this kind of clipped, poignant way where he's really shocked that she would have any interest in him. And she touches his face and there's a tenderness there. And she takes him into the black void like everyone else. And then as she walks downstairs, she looks in a mirror, she touches her face. And there's some sort of, there's been flickers of this going along where it's like, a sense of touch. There's a scene where she falls in the street and people pick her up. Like there's a sense of her starting to maybe sense that there's something more there, both to the people she's interacting with and to herself. And she's a, a sort of a consciousness starts to awaken. She rescues this guy from the pit, sets him off naked, wandering into a field 
trying to to get away and of course the motorcyclist unfortunately catches him and brings him back but she at this point wanders off leaves the van and the second part of the movie is her wandering around bus stations meeting a man who takes her in and cares for her there even seems like there's the possibility of love here but when they start to actually make love she reacts in the moment where he's getting close and she pulls away sits at the end of the bed holds a lamp up to her and there's again this is one of those spots where there's multiple interpretations there's people who say that she's shocked to realize she doesn't actually have human genitalia because she's an alien others say oh no she's hot she's shocked at what you know the the, the fact that she actually does and it's not what she expected um you know there's the question of do these aliens even have a particular gender in the book that is based on they do she's a woman of the alien race and she plays a woman of the human race um, although, again, I <laughs> I have to point out in the book, the aliens are actually called humans. It's one of the misleading sort of clever word games that's played with language on the page where the aliens call themselves human beings and they call the humans that they're picking up vod cells, which is based off of the word meaning food in Dutch. So they, they basically dehumanize the humans in the book. And uh, the aliens are the ones who consider themselves humans, even though they look something like horses or llamas. They're four-legged beings. They have to, uh, you know, modify themselves physically to impersonate humans, which only a couple of them do. Um, the main character, who's named Eicherly in the book, included. Uh, so I'll get more to the book in a little bit, but I want to wrap up with the, the film. The final part of it is her wandering into the woods by herself. She's had her chance at human connection. It, it didn't quite work, and she's alone, and uh, she meets a guy in the woods, a logger, who tells her of a place that she can stay, and she goes there, and then he shows up while she's sleeping and is touching her, and she freaks out, runs away. He chases her. He tries to rape her, and that's when he discovers the skin underneath, the black skin of the alien, and freaks out, runs away, and that's when she looks at her face. And it's this absolutely haunting moment because it raises this question of identity. Who are you? What is your fundamental self? Are you this self that other people see? Is there another self underneath that is the real you? Um, is the presentation that you're putting on somehow a deeper expression of who you are like all these questions kind of emerge as she sits there and looks at this face that she's been wearing for the entire film and also there's the shock of like we've been watching a movie star scarlett johansson play this character now it's like well the real person in this movie the real human being quote unquote the alien character looks like this and scarlett johansson was just the skin that she wore and there's so many different ways to read this and dig into this and it probably won't surprise anyone to know that there's uh, really a body of like transgender criticism, um, meaning critics who are transgender or non-binary. It's fascinating to me that you can almost find contrary interpretations of this. So for example, uh, Willow McClay writes, uh, she's she's somebody who wrote a fascinating piece, uh, deeply moving uh, account of her engagement with Firewalk with me and Laura Palmer that is incorporated into the book Laura's Ghost by Courtney Stallings. And she has a piece that I think I'd read before, I'd certainly seen her tweets about this movie and her reading of it as a kind of a trans allegory. And then I found another piece as well by somebody who goes by the name of Tesseract. I think they're a non-binary writer and they wrote about it almost from the opposite perspective. So there was the question of what that final scene means. It was the, the idea of like the alien looking at 
the persona that they're trying to wear because it matches their inner self. And then the other interpretation was, well, the the alien underneath is the real self that has to wear this uh, kind of skin to present itself in the world. So it's a question of like, who is the fundamental identity there? Uh, I'll, I'll link both these uh, essays be below. I found them really fascinating. And of course, the film ends tragically, and which is an interesting thing to say because we could be unsympathetic to this character considering what she does in the first part of the film. But there's a sense in which she does that in almost a zombie-like state and she's coming into her own and kind of discovering a consciousness and an empathy in the back part of the film. And then this guy who tried to assault her and ran away, runs up, douses her in gasoline, lights her on fire, and the film ends with her burning up in a field. Icerly, the character in the book that this is based on, she has a similar end, but it happens in a different way. She's picking up a hitchhiker, this time not to, you know, send him to the processing mill and and uh, turn him into meat, but because he basically rushes up to the car and is screaming, my girlfriend's in the hospital, she's having a baby, we gotta go, we gotta go, etc., etc. Um, and then they get into an accident. And so she's fatally injured and she knows it and there's a button she can push in the car to blow herself up and she reaches out to it. And the idea is that she's gonna explode in this field and self-destruct and that's the end of her story. But she has the agency to choose it in a way, which is something interesting about the book that that again, contrast with the film. And that's it for this public episode. However, the discussion continues for another 15 minutes, uh, almost as long as what you just listened to, focused on the book that this is based on and actually comparing that to the film. And that was in some ways my favorite part of the discussion because there was a lot to dig into there, the differences between novel and adaptation and uh, what the takeaway on all of that was. So I wanted to keep that reserved for patrons. For a dollar a month, you can listen to that, and you'll have access to uh, hundreds of uh, other uh, posts there, or, or I should say hundreds of other capsules and reviews, because some of them are compiled into a single episode. Uh, I'm still working on the 100th episode grand finale for that podcast on Patreon, but there's a lot of material there that still hasn't been released for the public. So, you know, you get access to that archive and other stuff going forward. As I mentioned, the next episode is going to be on Southland Tales. Here is a little taste of that coming up. Uh, before we listen to that, just a reminder, please rate, review, and subscribe to uh, this podcast on Apple Podcasts, best way to get people to see it. Uh, even if you're listening to this episode and the podcast hasn't updated in a while or has gone on hiatus or even come to an end because I'm gonna take this hiatus and that may be it for this particular feed i may shift projects in different directions but uh, no matter what i want people to come back and be able to listen to these episodes years after the fact if the subjects interest them so rate, review and subscribe and that gets them to do that and here is a taste of southland tales before our june episode coming up to finish off this season these are the sordid tales of how it all came crashing down. This is an epic Los Angeles crime saga. And you're researching your role? Yes, it takes place in the near future. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. 